This is Steve Hurley, and welcome to the Pivotal Outdoors podcast, discussing hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits, swapping stories and feeling alive. Across most of the country, big game seasons are closed, and people are already planning for next year. We have moved into a hunting show season with expos kicking off around the country. A prime example is the upcoming Great American Outdoor Show, be in Harrisburg, which has all kinds of things to see and do. One of the larger exhibition rooms is filled with outfitters, offering every kind of hunt imaginable. A lot of people walk the aisles, amazed by the animal mounts, dreaming as they window shop, and they not and they might not really know what to ask an outfitter besides how much the hunt costs and what are success rates. So in this episode, we are going to discuss what to ask an outfitter. I'm here with Craig Slomers of 2D Outfitters. We met at the Total Archery Challenge in Seven Springs, PA this past year and started talking about deer and bear and his hunting style and energy really resonated with me and I ended up booking a hunt with him. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Hey man, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, Craig, do you want to give your background on, on guiding and the outdoors? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a... Uh... I'm a, I'm a bow hunter at heart my whole life. I think I started bow hunting at 12 years old. Uh, my buddy and I, we grew up three doors down from each other and, uh, we would get off the school bus and we would, we would grab our bows and run to the woods. Um, and we messed up a lot. And that's where it all started for me was being a 12 year old in the woods with a bow. Uh, you know, we didn't have big influences, uh, really teaching us or telling us what to do we had to figure out ourselves and uh that paid paid off so much in in the uh in uh in the long run i believe because we we literally learned from the deer so everything that we know has been a hard uh lesson learned and uh you know the the woods taught us um taught me and i had to learn from the deer really to get to where i'm at today but 12 years old, picked up a bow. And, uh, when I turned 18, I, I, you know, I, I went to the oil field and I got a, I got a big boy job and started making money. And on my days off, I've traveled the Midwest bow hunting all over the place and, uh, had some incredible encounters with some giant whitetails all over the Midwest and, you know, got hooked and killed some good deer and kind of, you know, started to apply some of the tactics I learned, uh, in the Midwest to where I'm at right now in Western Pennsylvania. And, uh, it's, it's, it's been really cool to, to kind of take the, the big buck hunter style stuff from places like Ohio and Illinois and apply them to Western Pennsylvania, which isn't a very known big buck state. Um, but we have the big deer here. So yeah, I, uh, I'm just a, a blue collar guy that started bow hunting young and, came up and, you know, took my, 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 uh, every opportunity I had to chase, chase whitetails. And, and, uh, you know, I went to the military and got out and that gave me some great opportunities for things like small business, um, uh, funding and stuff like that. And I started my own outfitter called 2D Outfitters. So we do black bear and whitetail hunts in Western PA with the bow. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, 
I started was just being a super passionate bow hunter and got to the point where I enjoyed getting people on animals more than I enjoy getting myself an animal. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I like how you mentioned um, with all that Midwest experience in Ohio and you're right in Western PA off, off the foot, off the, the Allegheny. So you're hitting, so you are hitting farmland in there. So it's very similar style. And you're saying that Western PA is kind of a sleeper area, right? Yeah. And I, I've been talking about it really for the last five years. I mean, I could sit here and talk about it for hours, but uh, Pennsylvania is the number one state in the country for hunters per square mile. And um, really what, what that comes down to is our, our gun season. And uh, we have a ridiculous amount of hunters and hunting pressure is, is crazy. But people talk about Michigan and uh, if you ever come hunt Pennsylvania, uh, public land or you spend any amount of time here, it's, it's the number one place in the country for hunting pressure and in the amount of hunters. So it, it actually creates a really unique opportunity for somebody that wants to learn how to hunt pressured whitetails. Um, but with that being said, uh, where we're located, 2D Outfitters is located in northern Butler County on the Allegheny River Valley and the Clarion River Valley is um, we have the agriculture and really difficult terrain to hunt. So we have the food and then the cover. So our bears get older, which means they get bigger, and our whitetails get older, which means they get bigger. So we're in a little bit of a sweet spot. And um, our uh, point minimum, so you can't kill a buck unless he has three up in this area in Pennsylvania. So what that's doing is letting our deer get older uh, because you, you can only shoot something that has three points up compared to you can just go shoot a, uh, a four point. Um, so you mix in the terrain, the difficulty, the opportunity that our animals have to get to cover, to get away from the pressure, uh, comboed with you can't kill anything that has uh, anything less than three up. Uh, it, it, it creates a, an opportunity to, to let these deer get older, which means they get bigger. So we're pretty, we're pretty lucky right here. And um, there's a lot of landowners and hunters that are getting on board with letting a two and a half year old walk because we're seeing our deer get bigger. And now we're, we're killing 160 inch deer, 170 inch deer. Um, I have a family member that killed a 186 a few years ago. And if you look back 10 years uh, in Pennsylvania, I mean, that if you if you said that to somebody, you would be considered a liar. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's the perfect storm and uh, really, really lucky. And it's really cool to kind of be in the uh, in the middle of this transition where people in this area are starting to want to kill better deer. And you're you're seeing it in the quality of deer that we're killing. So. And just for our listeners, when you're saying three up now, some people might think, you know, three on one side, um, j just so they understand like the brow tine does not count. So a lot of other people in other States, they might think the fork with the brow tine is good, but you're just saying, I'm just want to say it for the listeners is that brow tine doesn't count off that main beam 
needs to be three points up, not including the brow tying. So typically right. an eight pointer, typically, yep. unless it has no brow tines and it's a big six. Right. So you, you look at your classic eight pointer, he's got eye guards and he's got three times on the main beams. Uh, erase the eye guards. So he's got three up on the main beam. He's got nothing above his forehead. That's a legal bucket in PA three up. And he could be a half rag three pointer, basically an eight pointer on one side without the eye guard. But if he's a classic six point, so he's got a four corn and then an eye guard above his, his, uh, his, his forehead, uh, that is not a legal deer. So it, and, and you don't see a ton of those deer around. I mean, it, it, it takes a little bit of a genetic, you know, thing to really get that three up, but it's, it's, whenever the game commission come out with the, with a with the four point rule, there was a lot of uh, mistake kills because they were seeing three up shooting them, realizing they didn't have an eye guard and then paying a fine. So they changed it to three up that way. If, if you're a gun hunter and you have a deer moving quickly past you in the woods and you see three up and you shoot them, you're not going to get penalized for that. But, Oh, okay. I did. So I didn't know that little tidbit. That That's interesting. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, if you uh, if you're sitting in the woods in a Pennsylvania gun season, and uh, let's say you're on uh, public land, there's a lot of pressure. Most of the time, you're going to see deer; they're going to be moving, and you're going to get that side profile. You're going to get that 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 side profile shot of a buck, and you're going to see three times up, and you shoot, and you get up there, and he doesn't have an eye guard. Well, you're going to pay a fine for that. So I think the game commission did a really good job of recognizing that. And saying, "Hey, we got these we got these hunters out that see three ties up. They think they're doing the right thing, so let's just make it three up. And if it doesn't have the eye guard, then you know that's uh that's that that's a legal deer. You know, so it's a it was a good transition from four on one side to three up. So I mean, if you if if you look into that a little bit, it'll it'll make a whole lot of sense. You know, yeah, that's good because I know the game commission." Usually gets blamed for everything, so that's a that's a really that's an interesting mo- interesting move. Yeah, I well, about. I mean those 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 people that work for the game commission, they're they're not out to get you. You know, they're they're doing the best they can to deal with population and you know how do we get better deer and you know they're they're working with you and a and a big misconce- uh, misconception is uh they're out to get you and they're not. It, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a good thing that we have people with degrees that have been studying this stuff and coming up with game plans and trying to execute to get us better quality animals. So I'm, I'm on board with everything they're doing. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm team game commission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you obviously have a lot of experience even outside of guiding, but just hunting, learning, learning lessons in the woods, which I think is, is uh, very valuable because, there could be some people who, you know, they they watch a bunch of YouTube videos and you can learn a lot from YouTube, not bashing that, but they could have, if it's not firsthand, they could have a lot of um a lot of research experience and have the wrong information really and, and not really know the nuances of deer movement and 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 timing. They might be like, oh, half hour before sunset, that's a prime time for deer to come out, but they might not, they don't have the experience of being in that situation with certain weather conditions and understanding. You, you just, 
you just know it deeper and better when I think when it's when it's all, when you've experienced it more than just hey I listened to this guy on the internet and this is what he told me kind of deal. You know what I I agree so much with what you just said. Um, I said a little bit ago I learned almost everything that I know from the deer and you you can't get a better teacher than that it might be a little bit controversial because there are people out there that grow up in a huge hunting family and their dad teaches them everything they know and 30 years later they're still doing the same thing because that's what dad dad said and you're doing it that way and depending on your dad or your mom your teacher uh it could be right or wrong. I mean, if, if they were, if, if they were really, you know, good at what they did and, and that's how you learn, then that's one thing. But, um, when it comes to the deer woods and killing whitetails consistently, good whitetails, you have to stay flexible and you have to let them teach you. You can watch as many videos as you want and you can take good things from a YouTube or a hunting, uh, channel you, you can you can learn things, but uh, your number one teacher is always going to be the animal and they will humble you and they will teach you more than anybody can. Anybody can teach you. So in my opinion, if you want to be a student of this game and if you want to really get serious about chasing these animals with a bow or, or, or a gun or whatever it is, then uh, you need to kind of quiet the noise from what people are telling you and you need to start listening to the animals. So that's, that's where I'm at on that. Yeah. So, you know, with your experience, I'm, I'm glad you're here and, you know, we can just jump right into uh, the topic of, you know, what, what should clients be asking outfitters? So number one on my list is the guide. Will that guide be your specific guide or is, are they part of a team? Cause that could, I think that could throw people off if they, in their mind, they're like, Oh, this guy's with my guide. And they get out there and they realize, wait, Oh, I didn't see so-and-so at all. And now it kind of changed how I, it, my expectations and what the hunt is going to be like. Any thoughts on that? Have you had any issues with that where I have? Yeah. yeah I, uh, I'm, I'm on board with you. Um, so for me, as an example, I own 2D Outfitters and I'm the only guide. I'm the owner and the guide. So when you talk to me at a show, if you walk up to me at a table or you hop on my website and you get on my contact list and you give me a call. When you talk to me, when you show up for the hunt that you booked, I am your guide. Um, and I do think it's important to know who that's going to be because there are outfitters out there that they own an outfitter. They are paying for the LLC and, you know, they're paying for the leases and everything, but they have hired hands and you're not always going to have a super serious, hardcore bow hunter as your guide. And for me personally, that's important. I've had really great experiences and I've had really bad experiences being the end user booking a hunt before I had my own outfitter. So I've been on hunts all over the country. I've paid for them. I've been everywhere, whatever. Whenever you book a hunt at a show, you are most likely going to be talking to the owner. I do think it's important to ask them who is going to be 
guiding my hunt. And with that is, do you have an outline, uh, a game plan that you give to your guys? Like, hey, I'm the owner of this outfitter. You know, I consider myself a professional. This is how I do things. When I hire guides on, do I, do you put them on your program or do you kind of give them a 300 acre property and say, do your thing, man? That's important to me. And I think it's important if you're going to be spending money as an end user going to somebody's outfitter to know that. So I totally agree with you with that. Like, um, who's my guide going to be? Like, you're a great salesman. I'm sitting here talking to you, man. And uh, I'm about to give you my money to go on this hunt. But when I show up, who's who's calling the shots on the stand I'm hunting? Is it is it you or is it some local person that you hired that's going to go throw stands up on a property where he thinks, you know, this looks good? And, and what's his background? You know, what's what's wh- how many deer is he killed or in this area? Wh- whatever. So. I think that's a I think that's an important question to ask. Absolutely. And uh, there might be some outfitters that might hear this and uh, maybe get a little irritated with that. But uh, unfortunately, if your outfitter gets big enough where you need to start hiring hands on to transport hunters and take care of properties, they might not vet them as good as you want them to. And they might be a local guy that's looking for a part-time job in the in the and during the bow season that's going to drive a truck and put you up in a stand. And he might not know anything about deer movement in the area. So, if it was me and I was about to spend my money on a on a hunt, my good money, my hard-earned money on a hunt, I would want to know: Is it you that's guiding me? And if it ain't, then who is it? So, I, I think that's a great I think that's a great thing to look for. For sure. Yeah. And, and that's not knocking people who do have h- hired guides. Um, it's just, you kind of, you want to match your expectations when, when you're, when you're going into it. Um, and that, and if, if they don't have the experience, you might not quite want to make that leap. So yeah. I, I've actually had a, 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 a negative experience, not, um, not with whitetails, but with duck hunting. I've gone a few times where it's, you know, you go, you do like a little day trip type thing. I've gone mm-hmm. with uh, two different outfitters. One, it was awesome. It was great. Loved it. Would do it again. The other one I, I went on came recommended from somebody and the price was pretty good, you know, for, for a day, just a day trip. And we basically drove down there, got to the blind, saw the guy that I was expecting. He collected the money. He's like, all right, here, sit in that blind. Here's so-and-so. He's going to be sitting with you. He's like, I'm going to go scout a different area. I'm like, what? I'm like, I thought I paid for you to be here with me. Um, and that, and that guy, he, you know, he didn't do too much calling and he was just kind of quiet and he kind of just sat there to like get the ducks when we're sitting in the blind. It wasn't, it didn't feel as much as, uh, like a guide or, Hey, they're coming from the left. You know, there, there wasn't as much direction there. Sure. And it, it wasn't the end of the world, but it, it kind of, it kind of felt like this guy took our money and ran and you're like, oh, it didn't, it didn't match expectations, which was the thing. So as long as you're expecting that, that's totally fine. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's out there in this industry. And, um, you know, like you said, yet you're not knocking people for hiring extra, extra help because things get busy and, 
you know, you do need help once you get big enough where you're running enough properties and enough hunters that you need, you need that extra help. But, um, I had a couple notes written down here real quick. I'll just, I'll just go over them real fast. Oh, um, yeah. I haven't written down. Um, this is your work partner for the week retaining to your, or, or pertaining to your guide. You should be looking at your guide as your, as your, your work partner, your hunting partner. I have it written down. In my opinion, you should feel you have made a new hunting buddy by the time you walk away from the table or conversation. You're going hunting with somebody and you're paying them money to take you hunting. It shouldn't be this big division of, oh, this, I'm paying this person money. I'm going to do whatever they say, no matter what. Like, you, you should feel confident knowing that you're making a hunting buddy that's going to make decisions for you that are the best for their area. And, um, after all, this is your hunt that you're paying good money for. So if you're going to walk up to a table to book a hunt, I would recommend starting the conversation with whoever it is, just talking, hunting, walk up to somebody and strut and strike up a conversation about hunting. Ask a question about, hey, how do you feel a, a, a buck's movement changes from early October to last week of October? And go from there. You know, strike up a hunting conversation. How do you feel about deer movement during this time of the year to this time of the year? Uh, do you like rattling over grunting? What's a four and a half year old's behavior compared to a two and a half year old's behavior? And if you start the conversation there, you're kind of setting a baseline of, um, hey, what's what's your knowledge in the deer woods? And let's avoid the money talk and all that stuff. And if you feel confident talking to somebody and you feel like, hey, I just made a hunting buddy here, then maybe that's somebody you want to you want to book with. Does that make sense? That's a good point. You know, you're, you're, you're not only just kind of testing their knowledge, but your whole um your whole hunting philosophy could be completely different, <laughs> especially if you're not used to rattling and all of a sudden this guy's going to town and which it might be appropriate for that area. And in your head, you're thinking, Oh no, this isn't how you're supposed to do it. And then there's that tension there. So that's a good point of oh, yeah. feeling them out to see like, Hey, do I want to hunt with this guy? Just even if it wasn't a guide service, would I just want to be in the woods for the week? Like you said, so that's uh, yeah, I think that's, that's very good. Yeah, and, and uh, me and you will have to we'll, we'll have to do another podcast sometime about rattling and grunting and different tactics and stuff because uh, I could talk for days about that stuff. But um, I'm just trying to keep it streamlined for you here for the purpose of uh, our topics. But yeah, it's uh, you you need to you need as a as a as a client to walk up and make a hunting buddy and talk about bow hunting and um, just feel their passion for it and how they feel about it and, and, and then go from there. So. Okay. So guide, that's one thing. The next thing is uh, like the hunt style, but also do the services the outfitter provides match what you're looking for. So if you're, Oh yeah. Because it could be, you're, you know, you see like, Hey, I want a huge whitetail. But if you do, uh, if, if you hunt, and ground blinds and all he has is tree stands and you're afraid of heights that might not work for you. If, if you don't want to sit in a box blind, uh, another way might be a spot and stalk, which is more popular, like a Western style hunt. Um, do people do drives? 
Are you going to sit over bait or a water hole? These are all things that you want to at least kind of know about whether, whether you need to know if you're going to be moving or if you're going to be stationary all day, or if it's kind of like a hybrid. So, um, yeah. And any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's, everything's going to be different. I mean, in, in my opinion, where you want to be in the country, if you're out West in the, in the, in the deep Midwest, I'm talking the plains of Kansas, things like that. Your tactics are going to be different than what they are here in Western PA. You're going to have to have a, a certain amount of trust in your, uh, in your outfitter in your guide for what tactics works, works best for the area that you're in. But, um, at the same time, you might be looking for a style of hunt that an off that, that an outfitter is not willing to do. And that, and that's fine because if you have six farms in Iowa that are trophy managed and every stand location is placed perfectly off of a wind, you better be prepared to sit a tree stand off of wind and you're not going to do anything on the ground ever. And that's fine. That's a certain style of hunting for a probably a, a specific deer, one buck that exists. And if you're okay with that, if you just want to go kill that one deer, that big nine pointer they have named drop time or whatever, and they have that deer locked down, be prepared to only hunt a tree stand off of a certain wind for a certain deer. And that's fine. And that's cool. That there's, there's a lot of cool things about that. There's a lot of puzzle pieces that come into play there. Everything has to be perfect to, to kill a certain deer. That's something you might run into. But then on the other side of things, you might be wanting to kill a 130-inch deer during the rut somewhere. And that is more my speed here at 2D. You know, I have small farms. I don't have giant pieces of property that I can manage and control a, a 3,000 acre piece where uh, we can do deer specific hunts. Uh, I can somewhat, but mostly we're hunting uh, smaller pieces of property and that allows me to get aggressive. So we might hunt a tree stand a day. We might walk in together and set a blind up. Uh, on a corner of a bean field where I just got a picture of a deer yesterday and we're going to make a move on them. Um, I'm not afraid to get aggressive to do a hanging hunt, walk in with a client, whether it's in the morning or we go out earlier than everybody in the afternoon and do a hanging hunt. And then I, I roll back to the lodge and pick everybody else up and take them out for their afternoon hunt. But um, if you're looking for like a ground and pound hunt, you better make sure before you book it, when you're talking to the owner, the guide, that that's a possibility. And like I said, most of the time, that's going to be your, your deep Midwest and your Western style hunt. So if you're in Colorado or you're trying to get a North Dakota whitetail or something like that, that's, that's where your aggressive ground tactics really going to come into play. But traditionally, if you're trying to kill a big whitetail with, with a bow, you're going to be hunting preset stands for a specific animal. But um, I had a couple couple notes here written down. So um, hanging hunts are fun and they're freaking deadly. One of my favorite things to do is to, is to get a recent picture of a deer while I don't have a stand and take a client in and do a hanging hunt on them. 
Uh, it can be really, really good uh, if you're watching your wind and how aggressive you're being with how close you're getting to where the X is. And the X is defined as where that deer is. And I have written down here to uh, be aware that the fear of heights will unfortunately limit a lot of areas that God can get you into. Either figure it out beforehand or be prepared to be hunting areas that are not as well pre-scouted for you. Ropes work well. The sooner you get comfortable trusting them, the better off you will be. So if you want to book a hunt with a guide and you have let's say three to four months before that comes up, take it it on your own to get comfortable with being in a tree stand because most of the time that's how you're going to be able to get on those deer the best. Guides like me, we will make accommodations. I'll do a blind hunt for you. But if you have a fear of heights, it's going to make it a lot easier on you to do your best to set yourself up for that situation before you show up. Because if I have 15 stands hung and I have three big bucks I want to kill and you can't be in one of those 15 stands, then I'm going to have to get creative with a blind to try to get you on that deer. And it might not always be the best to get you close to them. So just, just be aware that you might have to do a little bit of work yourself to match uh, your outfitter's style. And like you said, that's a great conversation to bring up before you even book the hunt so you can be prepared for it. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've hunted out of uh, both, you know, I have my own tree stands and uh, I do have a ground blind, which I've used at certain times. Um, if there's not like suitable trees around and every time I'm in a ground blind, I feel frustrated because I feel like I have a very narrow window, even just with, with a brush on the side. I feel like if you're up higher, you could just see so much more, see them approaching all over the place. I personally like being a tree, but um, just, yeah, just that if people can only be on the ground, it feels like it severely limits your potential for success. Yeah. So, so take the, take this, for example, if, if you walk up to me at a show, and you book a hunt for, let's say, October 25th through the 1st of November. And uh, we talk about the deer that I have and blah, blah, blah. You book your hunt and you show up October 25th. And the day you get there, you tell me, oh, hey, by the way, I'm not comfortable with tree stands. I, as the guide, am going to be scrambling to try to figure out how I can get a ground blind into an area where there's a deer that I want you to kill. So deer can see ground blinds. If you go out and pop one up and you try to hunt it within the first five days of that thing being up, they're going to see it. And it's not going to be natural behavior. And there's a really good chance you're going to get busted. In my opinion, you have to put those ground blinds in at a minimum of two weeks before you actually hunt the spot and you have to brush them in and you have to pay attention to what your common wind direction is going to be, all that stuff. So if you pop, pop in for your hunt and tell your guide that day, Oh, Hey, by the way, I'm not cool with the tree stand. It's going to be really difficult for a guide to put you where you need to be because we're at a disadvantage trying to pop something up last minute 
the deer aren't going to be used to a ground blind. They're going to see it, and your week is probably not going to be what you want it to be. So voice that stuff before you book the hunt, and a better option is to figure it out. If you have four months before a hunt, go get in your buddy's 12-foot ladder stand and tie off in it and sit in that for a little while. And after you're comfortable climbing that ladder, see if you can't go get a set of sticks from Dunham's or Dick's Sporting Goods and put a 15-foot section of sticks up and climb that and, and work your way into being comfortable in a tree stand. But that's a great thing to worry about is, is style, and it's absolutely something that you need to figure out before you put money down on anything. Has anybody brought up like saddles? Because I know it's kind of a growing trend. Yeah, you know what? Uh, saddle hunting and, and things like that, I, I think it's really cool. It's not something that I get into myself personally. But again, at the end of the day, this is your hunt. Like you're paying for this hunt. This is your experience. This is your thing. And if you want to hunt out of a saddle, then that hang on that I want you to go hunt I can give you a 30 yard radius within that tree stand and say, this is where you need to be. In my opinion, you need to be in this area. You can hunt that stand if you want. Uh, if you want to go in on a, on a hat, on a, on a saddle, that's, that's up to you. You know, we'll, uh, we'll come up with a game plan and I'll get you in the general area you need to be. And, uh, you can get up a tree you're comfortable with your saddle or whatever. But, um, I've been extremely lucky, uh, with clients where I've had just just badass clients where everybody's super on board with my program and if it's a hang on or or a ladder stand or or whatever uh I've been lucky to have to have really really cool clients that uh you know they're kind of down for for anything. I actually had an experience this year where I had a husband and a wife in and uh the wife was terrified of heights and the husband and I were walking her in in the mornings and we were helping her up into the, into the hang on, getting her tied off, getting her bow up there and uh, getting her all situated. And, and uh, you know, she was fine with it as long as we were there, but, but that, that was really cool just to have a flexible client that was like, you know, I'm, you know, and I'm scared of, of heights, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to do it if, if that's what she says, the, the best thing for me to do. Um, I haven't had to, got anybody's deer for them because they were not comfortable with it tactics wise uh i had some people this year that wanted to do some standing corn stuff because i always sell at my shows the uh the opportunity to get into a standing cornfield with a bear and uh that's a really exciting cool thing to think about is getting into a standing cornfield with a live animal a bear and working them downwind and and everything and uh the conditions this year weren't always the best but we did get some opportunity to play around with that now can you explain that a little bit for people listening if uh just so they understand the process of what what you mean by the going through standing corn and like how would you uh approach that yeah so so whitetails and black bear in my area they will get into a standing cornfield and they won't leave it. Uh, they have everything they need there. They have cover, they have food and they have water. Um, a lot of times these animals are getting their water needs from the plants that they're eating in the field. So a big misconception is, Oh, a deer has to leave the cornfield to go down the hill to go hit a Creek or Creek. That's not always the case. 
they're getting enough moisture from the corn and the plants that they're eating in the cornfield that they don't have to go do that. So if they have cover food and water, there's no reason for them to leave unless you disturb them. So a lot of times you'll have a bear or a buck that you want to kill that is not leaving a standing cornfield. And the only way, if you're in on a five-day bow hunt with me, to get an opportunity at that animal is you have to get in the field with them. So you have to get downwind, obviously, so they can't smell you. And you have to work every single row of that corn until you run into them. Uh, and it becomes extremely exciting. It's very technical. You have to move when the wind blows. So you have the cover of the corn brushing against itself. So you can move without being detected. And um, like I said, that's that's something that we'll have to really dive into on another one for tactics. Because, that I mean, I could talk about that for an hour. But if you're looking at a square cornfield and you have a, a north to south wind, you would come in on the cornfield on the south wind side and you would work it east to west. And when you get to the west side of it, you go a couple rows up and you work west to east and then you move a couple rows up and you go east to west and you cover that entire cornfield until you run into that animal that you're looking for. And, uh, it's a, uh, it's an exciting way to hunt and it's a difficult way to hunt and it's technical and you have to be careful not to blow that area up by, you know, disturbing, you know, the animals that are using that. And it, it's a whole nother conversation, but it's, uh, it's a fun way to hunt for sure. You can find a lot of success doing that. When you do come upon like a bear on the ground, first off, you're on the ground. So there's a feeling of less safety, but you're close. You're close, especially if you're going with a bow. Talk about one of the best adrenaline rushes being 10 feet from a black bear in corn yeah. with a bow. Imagine, imagine stepping into a row, looking to your right, and there's a black bear at seven yards. And you have to, if you're a right-handed shooter, you have to pivot your entire body, step into that row, and lay an arrow into a black bear at seven yards that has no idea you're there. I mean, it's a really cool experience for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so we covered hunt style. And then the third one I was going to talk about is land. So mm -hmm. you kind of want to know not just the terrain, but how much how much of it is there to hunt, you know, whether it's going to be you're all, all on private or private and public is at least, are there other outfitters maybe lease the same land? Mm -hmm. uh, is it high fence or not? I mean, some people might have a problem with that. Some people might not, but you still want to know any which way. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely talk to your potential outfitter about land. Is it high fence or free range? That's going to be a night and day difference. If you want to go shoot a 200-inch deer in a fence, that's going to be a $15,000 hunt somewhere. That's a whole other thing that I know nothing about. Oh, I didn't realize it was that much. Wow. <laughs> yeah, if, if, you know, 15000 is probably on the high end of things, but I would guess that if you want to shoot a high fence deer, if you have anything less than – 
8,500, you're probably not going to get anywhere. So it's, it's very expensive and that's a whole nother thing. And uh, you know, I don't want to sit here and dog on it. It's just not my style. So yeah, if you want to go the, if you want to go the high fence route, do your thing. There's people out there. There's a lot of outfitters out there that do that and uh, you'll be fine. You'll be taken care of. But as far as free range goes, um, public to private ground here in Pennsylvania, you have to have a special permit to guide on public land. I do not guide on public land. Everything that I hunt is private. There are public outfitters in the state of Pennsylvania where you'll go hunt the Allegheny National Forest. And there's people out there that have great success doing that. But it's something that you want to ask for sure. Obviously, the the things the differences there before private and public is if you're hunting public land you really don't have control over who's hunting it as an outfitter so you might have somebody come in on you uh you might have somebody hunting close to you that shoots a 100 inch eight point and you're trying to kill a 130 and your next year hunts aren't going to be as great because these these deer are being killed young when you want to be killed older um yeah in my mind i would think the exclusivity of just having private land uh, is probably what most people would probably prefer. Uh, sure. I mean, just, just so you don't have to deal with that or, or parking lots are full or people put a stand 10 feet from you, especially with Pennsylvania being such a, a pressured state. Um, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking like public outfitters and PA, I guess my mind jumps to like elk. And if you draw one of those tags, there's not going to be a lot of other people out there. Oh um, man, you know what the the elk scene in PA is is uh wild. There that's a totally different thing and you know maybe someday I would like to get into it because it's really exciting and there's a lot of opportunity there. But um the elk the the elk hunting on public in in Pennsylvania is a very unique thing that I don't have much experience in right now so I can't really talk on that. But Whitetail and black bear in PA, public, private, really what you're going to be dealing with is uh, the exclusivity of your hunt. Like you mentioned, you know, you're, you're going to be hunting stuff that's controlled. You don't have to worry about other people coming in. And a lot of times you can get into a property where it's managed for quality. So we're not killing one and a half and two and a half year old deer. So your opportunities at a trophy buck, which is typically around your four and a half year old age are going to be greater. Um, now for how much land, this doesn't matter that much to me. I would rather know is how many hunters per season per week versus how much land an outfitter has and then go from there. So, oh, that's a good point. So whether, whether the outfitter is almost imposing too much pressure. Yeah. So an, an unpopular topic to bring up is the outfitter is focused on making money. Or are they more focused on the fact that they're passionate about it and they love the sport? So if I was to come up with a business plan, something that most clients don't think of is an outfitter is a small business owner. This person is trying to make money for his, for himself or his family and support his family, whatever the deal is. Um, you can make a lot of money being an outfitter. Um, you know, six figure numbers and, you know, all this stuff, uh, 
and usually when you start talking about an outfitter doing it to create a living for his family, you run into what is the max amount of hunters I can run per week per my price and make per season. And um, that's not always the best for a client because I can be in Adams County, Ohio, which is an incredible county in the country to go hunt for a trophy whitetail. Let's say I have 500 acres. I can run 50 hunters on that 500 acres and I can make a hundred thousand dollars. That 500 acres is going to be so overly pressured. It's going to be ridiculous. There probably won't even be a doe with a yearling there. You're probably going to see uh, button bucks and one and a half year old deer that aren't really affected by pressure as much as the older deer are on stuff like that. So when it comes to the amount of pressure or, or the amount of land versus the amount of pressure is I don't care how much land you have as an outfitter, as long as you're managing it correctly. I don't want to go hunt with somebody that has great property in a great area, but they are running as many hunters as they can for the sake of making as much money as they can. In my opinion, if you want to be in this industry and if you want to last and you want to be in it for a long time, you need to focus on the quality of animals you're killing and your client's success. So if I have to make $40,000 a year for the next 10 years, as long as I have my client's success there to sustain my business plan, because I want to do this forever, then I'm going to run less hunters on the amount of property that I have. Um, you're not always going to be able to recognize that when you're at a show and you're walking up to a table or something, but something that I would look, look for if I was about to book a hunt is I would ask the outfitter or the guide, whoever's at the table before you put your money down, how many hunters are you running per week? And then I would ask them how many acres they have. And a good rule of thumb that I have is take, the number of hunters they have per week and the number hundred of acres they have. And I think in my personal opinion that you should have a hundred acres of property per hunter per week. So if you have seven hunters in a week, the outfitter should have 700 acres of property. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually I'm writing that down. That is a, that's a hot tip. I'm saying that's probably one of the hot tips from this podcast, I would think. I'll, I'll probably. <laughs> You're going to make some enemies. <laughs> probably make some enemies, but unfortunately, it's it's simple. It's, if you sit there and write it down. I have uh, my price, let's say it's $2,000 and I can run 10 hunters a week. Uh, that's $20,000 uh, a week that I can make. And I multiply that by say, blah, blah. That's not the business plan you should be running. The business plan you should be running is how many hunters should I hunt for success rates? Yeah. You'll make your money eventually. Like you'll be, if if you can get your clients kills, you'll be fine. You can last however long you want to in this business. But, um, for the sake of the, you know, what to walk up to asking or expecting from uh, a potential person that you're going to pay money to is uh in the back of my head 
a rule of thumb is is I would want at least a hundred acres per hunter per week. So managing the land correctly over just cramming hunters in there and putting pressure on. Is there any other type of um, management like uh, you want to talk about? Maybe like food plots or maybe like predator control, which a lot of people might not think about. Oh, I uh, so food plots. <sighs> Food plots aren't going to guarantee you success, and they're not going to guarantee a successful hunt. Um, yeah. I would, uh, I would look for some type of minimum. Uh, minimums are a good thing, uh, whether it's 120 inches or a three and a half year old or older. It doesn't always have to come to the inches of a of a deer's rack what it's what he scores, but you want your outfitter to have some kind of baseline of and what it comes down to is is uh it's it's a sustainability thing what is my outfit going to look like in the future um if i have hunters coming in and i say safeties are off kill any deer you want kill any bear you want do whatever you want i'm just trying to make money and get the heck out of this you want to see some kind of minimum and there are hunters out there that want to go on hunts where they can shoot whatever they want, and that's fine. But if you want to go to an outfitter year after year and find a place that you can eventually take your kids to or take your wife to or your husband to or whatever the deal is, you should be looking for some kind of management plan. A minimum is not always the best plan to run because judging a deer at 130 inches on the hoof in 14 seconds during the rut is a very difficult thing to do. Me personally, I try to teach what age looks like, what the chest looks like on a three and a half year old, not what a brow time looks like on a 120 plus. So I would recommend trying to go with an outfitter that has some type of management plan. You're not going to come here and shoot whatever you want because I have to be able to sustain these animals and my business and keep clients happy for years and years and years. I can't just be looking at this season right now. You, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? No, yeah. and, and that would speak to the longevity of, of an outfit. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it's good that you, it's important that you put in there that the sustainability thing, you know, is that you're in this for the long haul. And if you shoot, if you shoot everything you see year after year, you're just not going to have, you're not going to have anything big. So well, you're going to run out of clients because you might come home with me this year and shoot a hundred inch deer and go, Oh, that was great. Not coming back to this place. Got one hundred inch deer. And eventually the pool, the, the, the hunting industry is, a, is, is a small community. There's not a whole lot of us out there. I mean, if you look at numbers, you might think it's big, but it's really not. So you're going to run yourself out of clients. Um, and I guess that would be more on the you know, business side of outfitting. But as a client looking to book a hunt for a quality hunt and for somewhere that you're going to be able to return to year after year and have a good experience, which is difficult to do, then you want to look for somewhere that has some type of management program for sure. Yeah. So if you came up to an outfitter and they've been doing it for – I don't know, 10 to 15 years and they're like, nope, shoot anything you want to see. That's probably a red flag, right? Oh, you're not going to see an outfitter. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> that's been doing it for 10 or 15 years. That's saying that 
You'll see an outfitter that's been in it for under five years that's saying that. That's a red flag. You know what? If you want to go shoot whatever and wherever, uh, then go book that hunt. That's fine. But uh, don't expect a good quality hunt and don't expect to be able to come back anytime soon. Yeah. So. You can't expect 200 inch deer walking around there. No, you're, you're not going to, unless you're the luckiest guy in the world. And at that point, go buy a Powerball ticket. You know? Yeah. Hey, anything happens in the rut, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. And in Canada, I've seen crazier things happen. <laughs> oh, so, so speaking, like I just mentioned, like the rut, um, I was thinking, I'll just throw it in here now. I think a, a mistake clients do make is probably waiting to make a reservation. And as the closer, the more they wait, you know, closer to hunting season, uh, I'm assuming reservations will be filled up. So if you're like, yeah, I want to do a, I want to do a rut hunt and, and you're waiting until August to book it, that's probably not going to be available. Right. I mean, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. I mean, rut, rut dates are always the first ones to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So if, if people are thinking about do, going with an outfitter, you probably want to start looking now, even though it's January, February for this yeah. year, or maybe even next year. Yeah. But, but don't, don't always get caught up in the rut dates to make it as simple as I can. Free rut hunts to rut hunts to post rut hunts. I'll break it down like this. Known deer, free rut. Unknown deer, rut hunt back to known deer post rut so if you show up anytime before the rut you're going to be hunting bucks that the outfitter and the guide knows are there so they'll have trail camera pictures of these deer and they should have a good baseline of what these deer are doing where they're betting on a certain wind where, where they're feeding while you're there things like that the rut is a wild card if you see pictures posted on facebook all year by an outfitter about this deer they have called high tower uh and you show up november 5th good luck running into that deer yeah you know what i'm saying he's probably traveling to other properties and cruising somewhere else yeah. he's not on so, his normal pattern so although you might be going with a great outfitter that has great properties in a great area you're gonna have an opportunity to kill a great buck on november the 5th but don't think that you're going to show up and kill a deer that you've been watching on Facebook all year. If you want to do that, then show up the first week of bow season. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Good point. So there's a whole nother thing there where it's like, if you want an opportunity to good whitetail, go hunt an outfitter in Adams County, uh, Ohio, uh, during a rut date and just sit in a stand for seven days and spend every freaking minute of the day in that stand and you'll probably have a good opportunity to add a buck um if you want to show up in the early season and hunt deer and hunt uh, uh specific deer on specific deer hunts then come before the rut so mm -hmm. the easiest way to break down when the book is um there is a certain amount of consistency before the rut there is no consistency during the rut and then there's a certain amount of consistency after the rut. So I don't know what you can take from that, but are, are you tracking what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, 
No, that makes sense. That all makes sense. And, and I was just using the rut as a, as an example, if that's like your focus. Um, I mean, it could even be whether, Hey, I'm busy in November, but I want to do, you know, early October. That's mm-hmm. when I'm available, but I want to hold off on booking it for now. Um, so even just personal schedules, I would, I wouldn't wait. I would book that when, when you know, or you can, I wouldn't wait till August. So you, I mean, I was using it cause the rut is probably people get excited about it because you know, anything can happen. And especially if you're in an area that doesn't have big bucks, you could still have your fingers crossed. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Swank construction might call me tomorrow and be like, Hey, I want eight people for the first week of October. And in one day, all of my dates are, are booked. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying that these, these fill up fast and hunting seasons. If you're going for, I mean, archery is, is kind of long, but say you want rifle. Okay. You got like your two weeks or other States might be different, but uh, if you're not available that week or whatever, that, that hunt's basically gone, you know? If mm-hmm. you, you limit yourself. So if you don't do archery and you only do rifle, okay, well, you got you have a smaller window to pick from, and that's probably going to fill up faster. So figure out your figure out your budget, find a show close to you, go in there with the intentions of booking a hunt. And when you find somebody that you like talking about hunting with, put the deposit down with them right there. Don't don't wait around. Don't risk missing out on a year if you're not in a a uh, preference point state like me in Pennsylvania. If if you want to, if you know you want to go on a hunt in 2022, find a place that you can go to that's within three hours of the house or whatever's good travel time for you. Show up with the money to do it and have the intentions of booking hunt and book it there and you'll be safe. You'll have your dates, you'll have your deposit in and you won't have any issues. So also with that booking kind of moving on to the the next kind of subject off of land. I know we did some mm-hmm. tangents there, but I think that was all really good stuff. Um, yeah. I think the fourth one, I just kind of labeled it as logistics, which, which kind of covers a whole bunch of stuff like lodging. Are there lodging accommodations? Uh, meals are they provided are they not provided um transportation so say if you're traveling you might need you might not think it but you'll have to have transportation if you're coming from an airport or even just transportation to and from the lodge or hunting location whatever um because you you told me this when we did our hunt which was really good was um a lot of people get caught up on just the animals and I think it's important to think, hey, this is you're taking a trip. Mm-hmm. This is vacation. Um, so know what you're getting into. I think a lot of people, when they go to these shows, they you know, they see a a 190 inch deer and they're like, that's what I want. I'm booking this hunt. And they may not realize that they might be in a tent the whole week. Or yeah. or oh, meals aren't included. Oh, okay, I didn't factor that into my personal cost. And now you gotta you, yeah. you, your your price just went up, especially if you're going for a week or two. You know, those meals really jump the price. Um, sure. a- yeah. Any thoughts on that overall? I know we're talking about multiple things here, but just logistics overall and what maybe what you should be asking and what should, might be a red flag. Absolutely. So uh, there, there's two sides of that. I mean, so I, I, I work in the oil field. I'm a roughneck. I work on drilling rigs and uh, I work 14 days out of town at a time on a rig. And I come back for 14 days at a time. And, uh, I have 
you know, my time off, but I work hard for my money. And when I go on days off, the last thing I want to do is really be roughing it somewhere. So whenever I take time for myself, if it's a hunt or a trip to the beach with my old lady and I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm comfortable because I, you know, I work hard for my time off and I want to be able to enjoy myself. Um, and that's one side to it is if you're a blue collar guy like myself and you have 14 days off of vacation a year, that seven days you take on a hunt. Remember that. Remember that you are on a seven day vacation for yourself. Yes, we're hunting whitetails or we're hunting black bears. And that's the point of our trip. But you want to be comfortable at the same time. Like this is your time for the year, man. Like have a comfortable situation. Eat good. Have a beer at the end of the day. Uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is that makes you relax, just make sure if you're looking for a seven day treat yourself trip at an outfitter that you're going to get that. And that's that's one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is if you don't care about any of that. uh you might be a person that will sleep on a concrete floor in a garage eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches if there's 200 inch deer around every corner. True. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, I and I I can get on board with that that type of uh style as well. I'm just thinking a lot of people they might think they they want that they're like oh, I want to rough it, but they might not really understand what that oh. means. Oh, for sure. You know what? And I just don't want that to affect what they, what they're expect, expect, see, I'm going back to expectations again. Mm -hmm. I just think if you're like, okay, you want to rough it? Okay. But you can't complain about it. Once you book this and you get out there, you got to know this, this is the hunt. This is what you wanted. Right. I've had horror stories from clients. They come in and they, I I had a, I had a, a father and a son. This is when I was guiding in Illinois and uh, they came out to the lodge and they were telling me about a hunt they went on in Texas. And the guy was driving them to a gas station every night and buying them uh, food out of the gas station. So, I mean, your bags of beef jerky and like those little Tostito rolls on those hot dog warmer. Things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they didn't know that, you know, they, they booked their hunt in Texas. They're like, oh, we're going to Texas and deer hunting. And, and that that's what they got. And they were miserable and the deer hunting was okay. And that was the, kind of the funny thing about the whole story was like, well, no, we saw big bucks. So it was like, yeah, their accommodations were horrible, but they actually ended up with a decent experience um, because the deer they were seeing. But make sure you look into that and, you know, know what you want. And if you're somebody that wants to go on a seven day trip and relax and, uh, you know, maybe take a morning off and sleep in instead of going on a morning hunt. Talk to that with your guide. You know, talk about that stuff. If you want to go to a nice dinner and have a glass of wine at the end of the day, make sure you ask about that stuff. Because if you book a hunt and you show up because there's big deer there, you might be sleeping on a cot. Yeah. And at the same time, because uh, I've been there and I've done this. Uh, I don't care where I stay. I, I just want to be on big deer. But then I've also gotten to a point like probably where I'm at now. I, you know, I turned 30 this year. I'm getting older. Like I want to go somewhere and relax. So it's not always about, you know, the, 
the giant bucks around every corner. I want to go on a trip with my buddy or my wife or whatever and uh, have a good time and uh, have good deer hunting, but also have really comfortable accommodations. Um, so depending on where you're at, I mean, go sleep in a tent with a guide in North Dakota and go after a 170 or go to a place like 2D Outfitters where you're going to have really comfortable food and lodging and have opportunity to great at great deer and quality bear and uh, eat a good meal at the end of the day. So just, just make sure that you ask and make sure you know what you're getting yourself into uh, before you show up. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, and that meal and shower can, can make a big difference. Oh, you make it, yeah. Especially after multiple days. So Yeah, sure. Yeah, so those are kind of the four things I was thinking about, uh, or I guess maybe it was five things. Let me see here. It was – so guide – hunt style, the land and logistics. I guess those were like the four things I was thinking about. Was there anything Mm -hmm. that, um, that maybe I wasn't thinking about that you you think is kind of important either to ask as a client? You know, I, uh, I had my notes written down here too, off the initial thing you sent me before we did this and, uh, we covered everything. Um, the only notes I had written down was Steve can come hunt 2D anytime he wants. And what a pleasure it was having you in camp. And uh, it really was you. I, you were in on a tough week. We were on that hot bear week with the inline muzzleloaders. And I think you were the only person that hunted every single day, morning and afternoon. Even when I had you guys over here, over at my place, uh, doing the bear drives and the sand and corn towards the end of the week. I think you were the only one that went out that afternoon. So I just, I just wanted to let you know, it was a pleasure having you in camp and you can come on anytime you want. It was an absolute pleasure. You hunted hard and any of your listeners out there that listen to you, you guys need to take this guy seriously because he hunts hard and, uh, he's, he's a great, he's a great bow hunter. Uh, and he has a lot of stuff to put out there for you. So, yeah, I appreciate that, Craig. I mean, I, I did have a blast and that's, Specifically why I wanted to get you on here, because I feel like you have a lot of knowledge. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it was a great trip. I enjoyed it. If there are people looking to book a hunt with you, is there a way they can reach you? Yeah. So uh, 2D Outfitters, it's the number two, the letter D as in Delta Outfitters. So 2DOutfitters.com. On Instagram, I am 2D.Outfitters. I think I'm just on Facebook, Instagram right now. If you get on my website at 2DOutfitters.com, all my personal contact information is right there. Y'all can fill out the contact sheet, which just comes into my email, and we can talk that way. Or you can give me a call directly, and we can chalk it up and talk about whatever you want. Um, I am doing some, some shows this winter and spring. Uh, I'm not going to be at the Pennsylvania show. What's that big one out there? The uh, Great American Outdoor Show. It's like GAOS. I will will not be at the Great American Outdoor Show, but I will be at the the shoot in Seven Springs where you and I met, Steve. What's that one called? Oh, yeah. The the Tech Total Archery Challenge, which is an awesome event anyway. People, if you're a bow hunter, you should be going to this. Go shoot shoot the Total Archery Challenge. It's totally awesome. Uh, I'll have a table there um, and I'll be at a couple different shows in the South. So I, I don't know where your, your listeners are really located, but I'll be in the South 
uh, doing shows and I'll be at the total archery challenge. And other than that, if, if y'all don't catch me there in person, hop on the website, reach out to me any way you want to there. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. And if you'd like to support this podcast to sustain future episodes, feel free to click on the listener support link in the show notes. There'll be more content coming. And if there are any questions or comments, you can reach me on Instagram at Outdoors with Steve or at Pivotal Outdoors.